So the verse today is First Corinthians, <laughs> for, uh, uh, chapter twelve, verses twelve through twenty-seven. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, if it, 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 it not for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable retreat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The word of the Lord. Come and fill us, come and fill our souls, Holy Amen. Thank you, Ruth and James, for your testimony this morning. Come on, let's give them a hand clap of praise this morning. What a powerful, powerful testimony. This week, we begin a new series entitled The State of Grace. And this is the time where we take a deep dive into the mission, message, and method of Grace City Church. It is in this moment where we reflect and remember all that God has done for Grace City over these 12 years. Last year, last year was one of the most difficult and challenging years in our existence as a local church. But I can stand flat-footed today to declare the words of the great gospel singer, Dorinda Clark Coles. We are still here, and it's by the grace of God. Amen, amen. Our State of Grace is a four-week series that looks at grace anatomy. Why do we do what we do as a church? Grace autonomy. Why we have small groups and how they are important to our church. Grace audacity. Why we see the necessity to serve one another community and around the world. And grace authority. Why does leadership exist in church and what role does leadership play in helping to move God's church forward? Let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We celebrate you for this morning. We thank you for being the God of our salvation. 
Now, God, you are the potter. I am the clay. Move me, shape me, make me, break me to what you need me to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister through our minds. Speak with our tongue. Love with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our focus text is verses 13, 12, and 13. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We are all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made of one part, but of many. Again, this morning, I'm going to be preaching from the title, Grace Anatomy. Grace Anatomy. Grace City, when you think about church in this season, the question becomes, what is the purpose for the church? In other words, what is the why behind the church? You know, in corporate America, whenever you, a business understands their why, it is a good chance they are going to be successful. You know, the why is the inside, it's the purpose and why one exists. Businesses like Apple, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Google, they don't just tell you their what, they understand their why. Uh, people, we must understand as a church our why. The reality is, if I were to do a survey this morning and say, why did you come to church this morning? And why did you come to church? I would probably get over 50 different whys. Because sometimes our whys are different. But here it is, church. We must align our why with God's why. God has a clear why for why we are called to be the church. He has a clear why or why he calls us to be assembled. You know, he, he gives us this why right back in Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 through 27. This is the why. He says, let us make man in our image. And watch this. Let them have dominion over the earth. In Genesis, the first chapter, the purpose and why God created man, he gave the why. The why was to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But we know in, 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 in chapter 3 that we have the fall of man and the why got a little confusing because in chapter 3 we find the first church. The first time we see church is in Genesis chapter 3. See, the word church means ecclesia. It means to assembly. So the question should be, well, what, well, what makes this a church? People assemble here all the time under this pavilion. What makes a church a church is that they are assembling under the auspices and the clear notion that we are coming in the presence of God. In Genesis 3, they would meet God in the cool of the day. Every time at the moment, they over and over again, they would connect with God in the cool of the day. But watch this, church. The one time the assembly was broken, the one time they didn't meet up, something had gone wrong. They would meet God in the cool of the day. But all of a sudden, they, God showed up. But Adam and Eve did not <laughs> because something was broken 
with the assembly. God, watch this church, showed up, but Adam and Eve, and he raised the question. And he asked the question, where are you, Adam? God, since Genesis, it has always been the idea for God and his humanity to assemble together. This idea of assembly have always had a purpose and coming together as we're called to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we know in Genesis 3 that the fall of man, the brokenness, because they, God gave them one tree in the garden to not eat from, they ate from the one tree in the garden, and all of a sudden, uh, we know that this broken relationship between God and man happened back in Genesis, and guess what? It's been a whole journey of confusing of our why. You know, so many of us were taught, let's be honest, that we come to church out of obligation or to get or try to work hard enough to get to heaven. <laughs> Some of y'all have even remembered this idea that have lived this idea that the purpose of church is trying to get to heaven. But church, the why for our church is God didn't create man so that we could get to heaven. God created man so that he can give domain to the earth. Your purpose in being here so, so it's like, if the idea was to get to heaven, it would be like, God placed you on, on earth, gave you this, this, this obstacle course to run around, see how good you do, and see if you come back. That's not the why or why you created. The reason why God created you was that he had this beautiful idea that the kingdom of heaven is now can be expanded to the earth. Your job, your why, is to expand heaven on this earth. Wherever you are, on your job, wherever community you live in, your job, your why, is to bring God's kingdom here on earth. The purpose of man is not just to get to heaven. The purpose of man was to expand God's kingdom on the earth. And so we know, you know, with the brokenness between man and God's real why, we see in the scriptures all the way through the Old Testament, man trying to be good enough, right enough because of that ruptured relationship between God and man, the separation. So man themselves tried to close the gap in the Old Testament, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to Malachi. The job of man was trying to be good enough, strong enough, holy enough, righteous enough to close the gap between what happened in Genesis 3 to the present. And guess what? We've never been able to close the gap. And so the New Testament, we find a conversation about how do we close this gap? A Pharisee said, you know, hey, Jesus, uh, how do you get, watch this, to the kingdom of God? How, how do we do this? He said, you know, how, do, how does one become saved? And this conversation goes on in John chapter 3 about you must be, you must enter back into, you must, you must enter the kingdom, in order to enter the kingdom of God. The Nicodemus was so confused, said, what do I have to do? Do I have to go back into my mother, come back out? He said, no, 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 that's not what happened. He said, no, that's not what happened. He says, watch this, y'all. Our favorite scripture, he goes down to John 3.16. 
Here's the words. Same conversation with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Great city, the why of the, the why we come to church was not about just salvation. Jesus Christ took care of our salvation. We don't gather together as a diverse group to be saved. We gather together as a diverse group to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. Do you know that conversation in John 3 is probably the only conversation you see Jesus have on salvation? So on three years on earth, what did Jesus talk about? You know on the Sermon on the Mount, he said the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God like this. The kingdom of God. His whole lesson and teaching was out the kingdom of God. Why? Because our purpose is to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The whole thing that he was teaching, the why, was about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, we get a hint to it. The disciples say, Jesus, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. He says, our Father, who art in heaven. Come on, sing it with me. Hallowed be thy name. Here it is. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we go again. The why? To bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus, that we, you and I are called together here to bring God's kingdom on earth. Paul calls us Christ's ambassadors. We are here. Jesus Christ did the salvation work on the cross that you and I are redeemed. But you and I as ambassadors are to bring God's kingdom here on earth. And the mission of this church as ambassadors to God is that we are reconciling people to God and to one another. That's the mission. That is the why of Grace City Church. That's the why we gather together. So, Grace City, I want you to know that, yes, salvation is important. And so many times when people teach that uh, the job of the church is to, to save people. No, the saving power, we couldn't save ourselves. The saving power is in Jesus Christ. We're bringing Jesus Christ who has the saving power. But our job as a group and a community is to bring the kingdom of God here on this earth. When we first write our st mission statement, we used, to, we used to sign and tag in Baltimore as it is in heaven. Church, we lead with our why. The reason why we are in this room is because we are here to bring heaven to earth. Jesus Christ knows his job. He's always been a reconciler. When he walked up, his mission statement, he walked into the sanctuary and in, 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 in John 4, opened up the book and read Luke, Isaiah 61. He said, my job is to be your reconciler. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach, to heal the brokenhearted, set captives to those who are free. My job is to reconcile broken things. Jesus understood that his job was to go to that cross and redeem those who are lost and that we are to be his agents, watch this, of reconciliation and to bring heaven to earth. So the apostle Paul begins 
to write about this. He begins to tell this picture that you and I, me and all of us, are called to be his ambassadors, those who are reconciling people to God and to one another. But Grace City, just like many churches of our time, there was a church that had some problems with this idea. They got caught up in their what and didn't understand the why. They started talking about how gifted we are and how different we are and how, 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 how those things matter. Uh, and, and, and Paul, in this passage this morning, begins to give correction to those who got caught up in the why and lost sight of the what. You know, it's important, Grace City, that we not lose sight of the what. Yes, we have gifted people. Yes, we have different people. Yes, we have diverse people. Yes, we have all kinds of people in the room. But that is the what. But the why, what draws us all together is that each and every one of us was redeemed by Jesus Christ, that everyone is the same at the foot of the cross, and that we're after one mission, which to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's our why, Grace City. It is so important that we never lose sight of our why. So Paul writes and says that we are called out as the assembly, as one who's baptized in the one God and connected to Jesus Christ. Paul now is, is, is sending a message to this church in Corinth because they had had some problems. They had had some division in the church, and they had been going back and forth about who's right, who's wrong. And now Paul is addressing it. When Paul established the church of Corinth, he sent a letter of correction to them. That that, that, that church, he was wanted them to understand. And, and check this out. This wasn't the first time that Paul used an analogy of the church and the body. This isn't the first. In this culture during this time, the body and the, the analogy of the body in the church was not something that was new. But Paul was correcting the misuse of this analogy. Uh, this, the, they would use this image during this time. Um, and one of, my, one of the top professors on 1 Corinthians, Richard Hayes, one of my professors uh, from Duke University, uh, shared this information when I was in class. I'll never forget it. He says, it was originally used to urge members to, to be subordinate class to stay in their places and social order so that not to upset the equilibrium of the body by rebelling against the superior. But Paul is now turning that upside down. Paul uses the same illustration to argue this interdependency and to argue that the need for diversity. He's arguing not to keep one subordinate in their place, but to urge more privileged members of the community to respect and value the contribution of each member in the body, even if one feels inferior or superior spiritually or socially. The why behind the analogy of the church was to keep people in the body submissive to the power within the system. But Paul understood the why in the body of Christ or the why that's in the church is to bring God's kingdom here on earth. So Paul argues three things about the purpose of the church and the body of Christ. And I believe these three things are very relevant for us at Grace City Church. Paul says the body of Christ should have unity. The body of Christ should have unity. Look at what he says. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, 
but all many part from one body, it is with Christ. For where we are baptized by one spirit, so as the form of one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, we are all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Paul opens with this analogy saying that we have unity in Christ and we are attached to Christ. It is our attachment to Christ that makes us one. Let me say it again. What makes us one, what makes us unified is that we have a common attachment. Our common attachment is to Jesus Christ. That is what makes us unified. It is not sameness. It is the attachment to Christ, which then allows us to move towards unity. And I'm, that's good news because there's no big U's. There's no you little. There's no big eyes and little U's. Like just like the Old Testament didn't work, we all needed this attachment with Christ in order for us to be together and unified as one body. But he says, not only does it, this attachment with Christ unifies us, he also says we have the oneness in the spirit. This oneness in the spirit that Paul is talking about is you and I, no matter what we feel and personally, we have a similar conviction. The Holy Spirit is our God. He's our agent. He's directing us. He leads us. He convicts us. When you are attached to Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, we have very the same unity and agreement. You know, Galatians 3 and 23 says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you have been baptized in Christ, clothed with yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor free, but we are all one in Christ. Great city, when I look across this room, I'm looking at oneness because of Christ, our attachment, and because of God's spirit. That attachment is so important, church. This is why Jesus says in John 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing without being attached to me. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen, listen to me. We have to be a unified church attached to Christ because the body image doesn't work. A body that doesn't, if Christ is the head and we're detached from the head, or if we're members and we're detached, the body church image doesn't work. That's not a church, detached heads and detached bodies. That's a horror movie. <laughs> In order for us to be a church, we have to be attached to the head and attached to one another. And that unity only comes through our relationship with Christ. Secondly, I see the body has unity. But here it is, church, here it is. He says, the body of Christ has diversity. The body of Christ has diversity. Now, this statement here is going to shake you a little bit, but I told you I, I, I was in class with the leading scholar in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to give you a statement he makes about the idea of diversity. Now, I want you, I'm going to read the scripture, and then I'm going to give you a statement. Here it is. He says, even so the body is not made of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot shall say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. If I would not... For that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the ear would say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body. But it would not be for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body was an ear, what would the sense of be, sense be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But in fact, God has placed the body and every one of them where he wanted them. Paul is making clear, church, watch, listen to me, that diversity is not a choice. Diversity is a necessity. Let me say it again. Diversity is not a choice. Diversity is a necessity. What is our job? To bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Ask the question. Well, then, if we're bringing kingdom of earth on, if we're bringing kingdom of God on heaven on earth, then what does heaven look like? We have to ask, what does heaven look like? Well, it tells us John on John in Revelation says, after I looked there before me, there was a great multitude, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language before the throne. We're going to have some problems. Get, the church is going to have some problems getting to heaven because guess what? When you get to heaven, it's diversity. And we've been on earth practicing something different. Some folk going to be shocked who are hanging around in church together in heaven. Heaven is a, if we're called to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, heaven is diverse in everything that I read in Revelation. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue are together worshiping God. Which means some people are going to be upset when they get to heaven. I'm just trying to prepare you for heaven. This is why we push diversity. That's what heaven looks like. Now here's the powerful statement here, church. My professor, John Hayes, interprets this this way. Paul is clear that diversity is necessary. Paul is making a strong statement. Without diversity, the body is grotesque and helpless. He says, without diversity, the body is grotesque and helpless. And let me do it to you like he did it to me in class. It's grotesque. What would it look like if you had all eyes a, a, a body composed of just eyes. That would be gross. What would a body look like if all you had was lips? That would be gross. All you had is open mouths with tongues, with, with tonsils and all open up. All one body, that's all, the whole body. He said that would be gross. He says Paul is giving this extreme example that without diversity, the body is not as growth, but it's helpless. He says, if you have all, if you have all eyes, where is your hearing? You're helpless in hearing. If you have all ears, how are you going to see? Paul is making an extreme example that diversity is a necessity inside the body of Christ. It is a necessity. It's gross and it's helpless is what my John Hayes, bless his soul, dean of uh, Duke University said. It's gross and we're helpless. Great City, we have always been a church that valued diversity. 
we've always seen it as something that's important because the scriptures see it as important. The bottom line is that, that we are missing something without a diverse community. We are lacking something without our diversity. Diversity is so important to accomplish. And watch this. What's our mission? To bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We need the body of Christ as unity. The body of Christ as diversity. But the last thing here at church is the body of Christ has interdependency. Now, the interdependency becomes very important for us in our Americanized minds because we've been indoctrinated on independence and self-sufficiency. Somebody say amen. So what Paul is addressing, and the, the reality is they had the same issue in this church. Let me read it to you. Paul says in verse 20, the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seems to be weaker and indispensable, and the parts that think are less honorable and treat special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should be equal in concern for one another. Paul is addressing something that should that, that I need to address, first of all, that's very important. That inside of the body of Christ, in order to meet the mission of bringing God's kingdom on earth in heaven, we need one another. We will not complete that mission. We cannot create that complete that mission without one another. And, you know, one of the enemies to interdependency is hierarchy. Let me say it again. One of the enemies of interdependency is hierarchy because hierarchy requires something to be more valuable than something else. Let me come get you. Let me get theological like never before. This is my biggest theological statement of my sermon right now. You don't want to miss it. Here it is. The center of our faith is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. If you and I add hierarchy in the Trinity, you have just committed blasphemy. If God becomes bigger than the Son, and the Son is bigger than the Father, or the Spirit is bigger than the Father, then that's blasphemy. How it holds together is there's no hierarchy, but they have unique distinct roles and models and functions to do and it holds together as one God that's how the body works when we create hierarchy and roles and positions and what they were doing in Corinthian church Paul is literally saying y'all are committing blasphemy there's nobody there's no role there's no function that's more important than the other there's no hierarchy inside of the body I close this way. My daughter tore her ACL last year. And you can't even x-ray to see the small ligament that has impacted the small ligament. You know, she's got a brain. She's got a heart. 
She's got all that stuff going on. And then you have this little ligament. Let me tell y'all something, church. And I'm going to get, am I all right, Naila? Our whole life changed because of the breaking of that little ligament. The direction, the trajectory of her life, everything in her life began to shift off of one ligament. And in order for her life to get back bounds, in order for everything to get back to her dreams and her hopes and everything, she had to go get surgery and get that ligament back. That ligament was just as important as her brain, just as important as her heart. And too many times in the body of Christ, what Paul is trying to help us to understand, the little small people or the little things that we think as ligaments, they are just as important as major organs. Don't despise your, your little role or something, a little function. It's just as important. There's no hierarchy, church, in the Trinity. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. In order for, as Grace City Church, we believe in unity. We believe and diversity, and we believe in interdependency. So here's the problem with interdependency. And here's my challenge for those of you who are raising the question, why do we come to church? Is church necessary to be in the room together? Here's the problem with that question. And here's what I'm going to challenge you that there is no church without you present. Christ attached his, his, him as the head to the body of all these members. So absence of the body, there is no church. That's what the church is. So when you say there's no need to come to assemble to this, there is no church. You're actually devaluing whether we need church. And then it goes back to your why. How are we going to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the privilege and honor to share your word. Thank you for the unity of Grace City. Thank you for the diversity in Grace City. And thank you for the interdependency in Grace City. God, we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.